I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? This is the right show for you. It will test your endurance. The offenders profiled are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. Money is one of the greatest motives an excuse used time and time again to take a human life. On February 16, 1994, the first victim of a greedy serial killer was found in a case that, at its root, was all about the money. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Dana Sue Gray was born on December 6, 1957, to father Russell Armbrust, a hairdresser, and his fourth wife, Beverly Armbrust, a former beauty queen and MGM starlet. Dana was born after several devastating miscarriages, and though the new addition should have been a dream come true, Beverly was described as an aggressive and vain woman, who Russell, finding his wife fighting an older woman who angered her, divorced when his daughter was just about two years old. Rarely seeing her father and under the control of her disciplinarian mother, Dana began acting out to get attention, and when she got in trouble, she would retaliate by stealing or flying into a fit of violence just like Beverly was prone to do. Struggling to get along with others in school and doing poorly grade-wise, Dana was suspended a handful of times for forging notes to get out of class. Then, when she was just 14 years old, Beverly was diagnosed with breast cancer and in 1975, tragically succumbed to the disease. This event would end up completely shaping Dana as a person. Not only did she deal with the loss, but she was forced to move in with her father, a man who was almost a stranger to her, and after watching the nurses care for her mother during her battle, she decided that she herself wanted to become a nurse when she grew up. Kicked out of her father's home not long after arrival, after her stepmother found drugs in her room, Dana managed to graduate from high school in 1976. And a few years later, 
entered a relationship with a skydiving instructor and began attending nursing school. Becoming an expert skydiver herself, Dana got pregnant twice, but on both occasions, her boyfriend Rob convinced her to terminate, something she would later come to resent him for. She then suffered several miscarriages and eventually slipped into a depressive state and began taking psychotropic medications. Through all of this, Dana managed to do well enough in school that in 1981, she got her degree in nursing. This is also around the time that she began a years-long off-again, on-again relationship with a windsurfer named Chris Dodson. Now, despite her ability to make it through schooling with no documented issues, at least that the sources refer to, it seemed that Dana struggled once she actually entered the field of nursing. While completely competent, she was often described as patronizing and controlling by her coworkers. They claimed that she was unable to take any criticism, refused to accept any responsibility when she made a mistake, and was hypersensitive to the point where she perceived slights and insults when there were none. In 1987, she married a man named Tom Gray, a man who had a thing for her since high school. But not long after the wedding bells rang, Dana somehow incurred a large amount of debt and following a dispute over her aunt's will, ceased contact with most of her remaining family. It wasn't long before her marriage began to deteriorate and much like her mother, Dana developed a taste for luxury and dug herself and her husband into a deep hole of debt, despite the fact that she at the time was working and making a good paycheck as a labor and delivery nurse, and that the couple owned several business ventures under the name Gray Matter. Described by her former sister-in-law as insanely greedy, crazy, and narcissistic, Dana left Todd in early 1993 and moved in with her friend-turned-lover, Jim Wilkins, and his young son, Jason. By that September, still legally married, Dana and Tom Gray filed for bankruptcy to stave off the foreclosure of their gated Canyon Lake home. And though the home's value had greatly increased since their purchase, they owed far more than what the house was worth. Then things got even worse when, on November 24th, 1993, she was fired from the hospital for misappropriating Demerol and other opiate painkillers. Things were completely falling apart for Dana Sue Gray. And on February 14th, 1994, she sent word through Tom's parents that she wanted to meet up and discuss their predicament. Keeping his phone number and address hidden from his estranged wife, Tom did agree to the meeting, but failed to show up. Later that same day, furious over the slight, Dana Sue Gray walked into the home of Norma Davis, strangled, and then stabbed her to death with a kitchen knife. So who was Norma Davis, and how did she end up becoming Dana's first victim? Well, you see, the 86-year-old woman was actually the mother-in-law of Jerry Davis, the woman who Dana's father married in 1988. Norma was Jerry's first husband's mother, but despite her remarriage, when Bill Davis died in the 1980s, Jerry took on the care of the elderly woman in his stead, hence how she became acquaintances with Dana Sue Gray. On February 16, 1994, a neighbor came to Norma's house and found her body lying in a pool of blood with a utility knife sticking out of her neck and a fillet knife sticking out of her chest. 
With the exception of a broken nail, there were no other marks found on Norma's body. And with no sign of forced entry, police assumed that the attacker was someone known to their victim. Found in the kitchen was a bloody shoe print. A smear of blood was found on the armchair. The phone cord was ripped out. And still sitting there was Norma's $148 social security check. But what was missing were Norma's credit cards, which, as the police started their investigation, Dana Gray was out using on a shopping spree. It wasn't until later that Tom Gray learned of an insurance policy his wife had just taken out on him that, in the event of his untimely death, would pay off the Canyon Lake house, which might explain why she was so desperate to meet him that day. In no way connecting Norma's ex-daughter-in-law's stepdaughter to the case, at some point, Jerry herself became a suspect when police learned that she had been at the home the Sunday before the murder. She claimed it was just to drop off some groceries for the ill woman. And after weeks of building a rapport with Detective Joseph Greco, he realized that she was not the woman that they were looking for which meant that he was back at square one around the time that February 28th rolled around and June Roberts, a 66-year-old woman living in Canyon Lake, was found strangled and bludgeoned to death inside of her home. On the same day her body was found, Dana Gray, with her boyfriend's five-year-old son sitting outside in the car waiting, went up to June's door and asked to borrow a book about controlling a drinking problem. June willingly let Dana in, went to go search for the book, and as she did so, Dana unplugged the house phone and used the curled cord to strangle the elderly woman to death. Taking her credit cards, just an hour after committing the murder, Dana Gray was out enjoying a shopping spree at the Upscale Center in Temecula. Terrified that they might be next, the elderly women in the Canyon Lake community began sleeping in large groups and worried that the murders of Norma Davis and June Roberts were committed by some sort of cult in a ritual sacrifice. In reality, it was just a woman looking to blow through some cash. Struggling to find a suspect, the supervisor working the case went as far as to recommend a psychic. That's when Dana decided to strike again, and this time, she left behind one major clue, a survivor. On March 10, 1994, Dana attacked Dorinda Hawkins at her job at an antique store. Working alone at the time, Dorinda saw Dana walk in looking to buy a picture frame for a photo of her deceased mother. She began wandering around, examining some of the old frames, and Dorinda decided to show her a few samples in order to help make the sale. As she was replacing one of them, she felt the sensation of something tightening around her throat. Twisting around, she saw her customer with a piece of yellow nylon rope squeezed in her hands, trying to choke the life out of her. Finished and not realizing that her victim was still alive, Dana rifled through Dorinda's purse, took $5, and then took another $20 from the register. While she was off spending the money on June Roberts' credit card, Dorinda got up and reported the assault. Giving a description of her attacker to the detectives, the following day, the story was reported by the local media, and the walls began closing around Dana Gray. But before she was caught, she was able to take a life one last time. Just six days after attacking Dorinda Hawkins, 87-year-old Dora Beebe came home from a doctor's appointment and suddenly heard a knock at her door. A woman, Dana Sue Gray, was asking for directions, 
and wanting to help out, Dora invited her inside to look at a map. Once past the threshold, Dana attacked and killed Dora, took her credit cards to go shopping, and left her body there to be found by the victim's boyfriend of eight years a day later. As she enjoyed the stolen money, Detective Greco began closing in on Dana Gray, and speaking with various merchants in Temecula, found out exactly who had been using those victims' credit cards. Finding out that she had recently dyed her hair and was often seen with a young boy named Jason, Detective Greco spoke with Jerry Armbrust, and hearing the description, she told him how it sounded a lot like her own stepdaughter. A search warrant was granted, the allied Riverside County Narcotics Enforcement Team was brought in to stake out Dana's home in Lake Elsinore, and on the very same day Dora Beebe's body was found, Dana Sue Gray was arrested and brought into custody for the murder of June Roberts. She committed her final murder just hours before the officers began following her. A search of her home revealed enough information to charge her with both Dora's murder and Dorinda's attack. She was positively identified by Dorinda as the customer who tried to strangle her to death, and with no sympathy whatsoever, Dana remained steadfast that she simply found the victim's credit cards and kept them only because of her, quote, overwhelming need to shop. Brought to court for a hearing on July 23rd, the DA at the time requested the death penalty should there be a conviction. Dana then pleaded insanity on all counts, but after a witness took the stand and claimed that they saw her at June Roberts' home the day of her murder, on September 9th, 1998, she changed her plea to guilty. Avoiding the death penalty, but faced with a mountain of evidence against her, Dana Sue Gray waived all of her appellate rights on the condition that she not be prosecuted for the murder of Norma Davis. She was sentenced to life without parole on October 16, 1998, and remains in prison. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on February 17th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.